Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, I'd like to welcome you to another night of Redneck's Pride Outdoors, where we talk about God, where we talk about hunting, trapping, and fishing, and God's creation. And like I say in every show, it it started out as just in the Northeast. We we talked about Northeast things, but soon became a national type show to where folks from all over the country was calling in and and or or joining in. So it's more or less a, a national wide uh, trapping, hunting, and and fishing show. And I'd like to welcome everybody that's here listening tonight. Uh, I'm going to fly solo for a while. I'm hoping some guys jump in here on the phone to, to, to add a little life to it. But if not, you're going to hear me gabbing, and uh, we're going to go right on through what I call the advanced DP trap. Now, before I get into that, tonight's show is brought to you by Rednecks Pride Game Calls and Outdoor Sense. Okay. Uh, we make baits and lures for trapping. We make deer scents. We make all kinds of uh, outdoor products, uh, calls, and what have you. If you have any reason or need any, any of those things, you just give us a, a shout, and we are more happy to talk to you. That's the most you're going to hear about that tonight, because tonight we're going to talk about things in the DP trap. And we're going to talk about the advanced DP traps. Now, thinking how I can say this without getting myself in trouble. Okay. As you talk to, as I talk to most guys, and I know myself included, most trappers out there are going to use what, what I call the KISS system. Keep it simple, stupid. It's that simple. You take a DP trap, you find a coon trail, you shove that sucker down into the ground, put some bait into it, and come back, and hopefully there's a coon into it. And let's face it, most of the time that's going to work. It's what we call the 80-20% or the 80-20 concept. Now, I started uh, teaching this or, or talking about this probably 20 years ago, the 80-20 concept. And ironically, I found the 80-20 concept, and you've heard me say it before if you've listened to my shows. I found the 80-20 concept when I was doing squirrel work in, in houses. I found that 80% of the animals, 80% of the squirrels was easy to catch, would no matter what you did, it just seemed like they would go right into a cage. Um, but 20% was a royal pain. And as I uh, discovered this 80-20 concept, I started working on things to work or catch the 20%. Now, as I was going along with the uh, the squirrels, with the 80-20, I, I got the notion, I, I asked myself, I wonder if this is the same truth, if you will, on squirrel or raccoons and skunks and whatever else. And what I found is, even in deer hunting, uh, trapping, this 80-20 concept is a reality. Now, a lot of guys that won't believe it. There's a lot of guys who just say, ah, you don't need to talk about all that stuff, Jonesy. And as a 
reality, probably if you're happy with catching the 80%, then then by all means, no, the 80-20 concept means nothing to you. Now, let me just verify a little bit or go back just a little bit. That 80%, okay, and that 20% is not an absolute number. It is what I call a reflective number. And and what that means in my terminology is that that 80% represents, if you will, okay, the the critters that's out there that's first of the year, uh, you know, they're, they're, this is their first year on Earth. Maybe uh, maybe it's the dumb ones unpressured. Maybe it's the, the ones that's just moving in from another area or whatever. But they're going to be the easy ones to catch. And they're necessary. They're, they're going to be the ones that just about any set you put out there, you're going to have a pretty good chance of catching them. Um, the 20%, again, is not an absolute number, but, but it represents a portion of the animals that are not going to be so easy. Typically, these animals are going to be a little bit cautious. Maybe they're going to be trap shy. Maybe they're going to be uh, spooked for whatever reason. I, I don't know. Who knows, you know? But these, this 20% is going to be those animals that are difficult to catch. Now, old Newt says to me one time, he goes, Jonesy, they pay the same for the dumb ones as they do the smart ones. And you know what they do. And as a fur trapper... Um, you may not want to uh, spend the time, if you will, on going after that 20%. In other words, if you've got a really, really high density of, in this case here, coon, all right, and you've got a population that's running four coon per acre, which is a pretty good population of coon, that 80% or that that representing number will, in fact, be a pretty good fur check for you. I mean, you go on in, and if prices are high and 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 uh, uh, you know there's a lot of coon there, you can go in, catch that eighty percent, and leave the twenty percent for 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 seed. Okay, and you don't have to worry about those educated or smart or those cautious coons. But where the eighty twenty concept comes into play, really strong. Number one is my ADC field. In my wildlife control field, I don't get paid unless I get them all. All right, now, I know Jeff, he's got a little bit different situation, and I wish I had his situation down there because he's got a pretty good uh, gig going on there. But in my my section here, if I get seven coon or five coon or two coon that's invading a, a house or a barn or, or whatever the job is, whatever that number of coon that's in that on that job, I've got to catch 100%. Um, or do like crazy to seal the house up and make sure they don't come back yet, but come back. But even at that point, the, the customer is going to be calling me every five minutes because they see a coon on the roof and see a coon trying to get in the house. So the 20%, that, that 20% is the one that I key on. Now, as a trapper, a fur trapper, that 20% is going to be, ironically, usually going to be your bigger, older, better quality coon, all right? They're going to be the coon that, that are going to have a better coat to them, hopefully. They're going to be a coon that is a little bit more um, uh, larger in size. Um, so they're going to be the, the, the raccoons that you desire, the, the double X's, the triple X's, all right? Those, those, 
there's three and four year old coons that 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 we that we like to go after as a fur trapper. All right. So tonight, what we're going to talk about is at twenty at twenty percent. Okay. And um, my computer just came up. Everybody still hear me? Somebody post up there if, if you if I went off chart here. Uh, nobody's posting up, so I guess I'm still doing good here. That 20% is the ones we're going to talk about tonight in, with the DP traps, all right? So far, we've got uh, nobody asking questions, so I'm either boring you to death or, or we haven't uh, gotten into anything substantial yet. So let's, let's start off with tonight. Again, the 20%, all right? Let me, re, let me little, retract just a little bit. I know I'm a little bit rattled right this second. I'm trying to still collect my thoughts to make this thing a, to go smooth, but the 20%, <clears throat> here's the key, as a fur trapper or as an ADC guy, but mainly fur trapping, if you key on the 20%, then it's a no-brainer that the 80%ers are going to go in. Understand what I'm saying there? You know, I said that to a guy a couple weeks ago. We, we was talking, and he goes, well, I don't, I don't want to mess with the, the 20%. I just want to get them and go. And I said, yeah, but if you do set for the 20%, then the get on and goes is going to come faster because the dumb ones or the non-pressured ones or the ones who are just cruising along are going to go into just about everything or anything. So that set you put out for that 20% is going to nail him. But also you've set up for that difficult coon. So when he comes around, you're not going to scratch your head three, four, five days into it and say, why can't I catch this stupid coon? Now, I'm not going to be one of these guys that tell you you're going to catch every raccoon that comes down the pike. You're not, plain and simple. Out of that 20%, okay, I equate it like this. 10% is going to be difficult to catch. And the other 10% of that 20 is going to make you pull your stinking hair out, and they may not be able to be caught at all. Maybe they're missing a few toes from footholds. Maybe they've been uh, harassed so much that anything a human does around them, any type of human odor they're going to back off of, or, or whatever, okay? But out of that 20%, you're going to have some that's just flat and not going to be caught. But I want to know that fast into the... Into the uh, the trapping experience, if you will, rather than five or six days when I'm getting ready to pull out of the, out of the uh, off the job or, or pull off the line there. Okay. Um, I'm reading here something that says, glad you covered the 20 cent being fur bearers that aren't just more difficult to catch. Thank you, buddy. Uh, they are the more desirable. Like, like the guest five saying, they are a bigger, heavier coon most of the time. All right. So the 20% is what I like to key on, uh, mainly because I'm trained as a wildlife controller. After 36 years of doing wildlife control, I tend to catch myself keying in on that individual coon rather than going after the, the whole populace, although we're going to talk about that tonight. Okay. Um, first thing I want to talk about tonight, though, is types of DP traps. Now, I'm not... I'm not talking about brands. I'm not talking about a Duke or Diablo or Grizzly or whatever. What I'm talking about when I'm saying types of DP traps in this advanced course 
is going to be the push-pull, the push, or the pull system. There's three systems that's out there. Now, here in New Jersey, if you're a New Jersey trapper and you're listening to me, I'm going to cover the push-pulls, okay? I'm going to cover the pulls, and I'm going to maybe cover a little bit of the pushes, okay? But New Jersey trappers, you got to remember that you cannot use anything in the state of New Jersey that is not a pull system. So in other words, it has to be a pull trap. You cannot use a push-pull system, although in in uh, in the perfect world, I'd have both of them running because there, there's some benefits to both of them, and, and, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to say a little bit about them tonight. Okay, so we're going to talk about the push-pulls. We're going to talk about the pulls, but New Jersey trappers, you can only use the pull, so you're going to have to uh, finagle yourself into the... Um, Getting that critter to pull that pull that trigger, okay. Now in the in the advanced system, okay, we're going to I want to talk about location. All right, location is probably the biggest factor in success or failure. Now there's a lot of variables here, okay, and there's a lot of uh, what ifs or how comes and, and that type of stuff. But typically what I'm going to do is when I'm going after the, the raccoon, I'm going to look for either a water line or a dry land line. And then I'm going to take each one of these water lines and dry land lines, which is two distinct trap lines, if you will, and I'm going to break it up into what we call the four seasons. Fall, winter, spring, and summer. Now, you as a fur trapper, you're not, you don't need to know, or you're not going to worry about uh, the coon in the spring and the summer, or at least you think you don't need to. But what I found is this: the more the trapper knows about the raccoon year-round, the better that trapper is equipped to identify the situation that he's in, or her that she's in and to figure out the method or the set type that they want to use in that situation. For example, I'll, you know, and, and again in the, uh, in the habits, uh, coon habits that we talked about a few shows ago, I was really going into the six phases of a raccoon that we'll go through in, in, a, in a year's time. The two phases that the raccoon trapper, the fur trapper, is going to get into is going to be phase one, breeding, and phase six, just being a coon. Okay, These two phases are the phases in which your whole trapping season revolves around. But by knowing, if you will, phase two, three, and four, and five, and I won't, I won't bore you with those, but the, but the breeding phase, then it goes into the, uh, the rearing or the birthing, and it goes into all these different uh, phases, by you understanding as a trapper these other phases is going to help you identify your trails or your locations in the fall and in the winter time. Okay. Now like right now it's January, we're right smack dab into that breeding season. So when I'm looking for my locations this time of year, and I'm from southern New Jersey, so we're not going to get the snow that northern New Jersey's going to get. And we're definitely going to be a little bit colder or a lot colder 
if you will, because I'm still like right now, it's probably 25, 28 degrees, I guess, here in my house. North of me is probably about 10 to 15 degrees uh, colder. Yet if I go down by Morgan Bennett's place down there in Maryland, he's probably about 10, 15, 20 degrees warmer, possibly. Okay. So by us, um, by understanding what's going on in that breeding season, you as a trapper, okay, will help you identify your trails better. For example, what? The boars are going to be, when they're moving in this type of weather, okay, the boars are going to do what? They're going to be traveling from den to den to den to den. They're not necessarily thinking about food sources. They're thinking about what? Love in the air. Okay. And what I find is this, that in the dry land situations, I'm going to look for woods roads coming out of a swamp or a denning area, maybe going through a cow pasture, maybe going through a, a, a horse pasture or something like that. That that woods road turns now into a, a two-track across the pasture or maybe across the cornfield, all right? And then it turns back into another piece of woods or maybe it goes up to a barn. Those, what I call straight lines, or those those high high dry spots are awesome when it comes to boars this time of year. They're going to they're going to walk on those trails. They're going to go from point A to point B because again, the boar all he's interested in at this point is love. He's going to eat. He's going to and that's and that's very important to remember that 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 is real important to remember that he's going to want to eat, but he's going to run those two tracks. He's going to run those those lanes up up a power line. He's going to he's going to run those straight points, if you will, okay, from den location to den location. In your watersets, he's still going to use the watercourses as travel modes, but he's going to, a lot of times, and if you think about this, a lot of times he's going to be high on the bank. He's going to be dry. Why? He's going to want, because he's, he's moving pretty fast. He's trying to, he's, he's trying to go from point A to point B, which is den to den, okay, and by the way, I might as well add that, add to it. If, in fact, okay, he's traveling and he comes across a sow that happens to be moving and she's coming into heat, well, he can now skirt right on off that. So he's also looking for these transition areas where, where the sow is going to be running. All right, so I find in this time of year, in the breeding season, I'm, I want to be on what I call the straight liners. Uh, if I'm in a swamp, I'm going to be on the higher, drier, areas going through the swamps, okay? If I'm up on the uh, dry land, I want to be up on the ridges. I want to be on those roads that's going through there. I want to be on the edge of the cornfields that go, that, that skirt the swamps and skirt the streams. I'm going to be on these things. Now, I'm not going to just go setting traps all through there, me personally. I'm still going to look for what I call the funnels, the hubs, or the, or the, uh, or the walls, all right, and 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 I guess you know I gotta I gotta give uh, Boda credit for this. Um, many 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 years ago, it's probably seventy nine, eighty, eighty one, somewhere in that there. We was up in I was up in Hughesville, PA. It was a trappers' weekend. It was called back in them days, and uh, I was sitting at his at his uh, booth his table there and you, no matter what you, you think of Bud and he he was a colorful person. Um 
he talked to me in in percentages or he was telling me and showing me things about percentages in other words he would he would draw a, a diagram where you have a stream that would cross underneath a a woods road and, and the stream went to a a larger river and, and then upstream it went to a, a swamp where it was a, a deading area and he would equate the road as a certain percentage of animals going from point a to point b but also um how the stream was also a travel route so the key spot would be that exact spot where the bridge and the road meets okay and you could put four sets in there and you had what we what he would classify as a 90 to 100 percent catch ratio or catch percentage all right 90 all the animals in that area 90 percent of the animals will be at that spot at some point when they come through and that's that's probably one of the things i want to throw at you i want you to say you're going to hear me have a little you're going to hear me say sayings which means probably nothing if unless you think about what i'm saying and that saying is this there are a lot of places that a lot of animals will go sometime. But there's only a few places that all the animals will go all the time. So when we're looking at these advanced DP uh, strategies, first thing I call it is fox trapping coon. All right. I'm doing the exact same thing with coon that I do on my fox line or if I was doing on my coyote line or, or whatever. I'm looking for these key places in my mind where every coon is going to go when he comes through. Okay? Meaning, over there, 20, 30, 40 yards, there might be five coon that come through there, and, and they may hit it once every two weeks. But this spot right here in front of me, every coon that comes through here is going to hit that spot. And that's the that's the situation or that's the place that I wanna I wanna set. Now I wish there were some simple formula to tell you, especially your new your new trappers. So I wish there was a simple formula to tell you how to find that. But but the plain fact is it's not. It's you wanna have to get out there, you wanna have to look for tracks. And by the way, tracks means what? That a coon was there, but it doesn't mean he's coming back. Um so you're you're gonna look for the, the concentrations of tracks. You're going to look for scat. You're going to look for all the signs you can, but you're also going to look for those um, funnels. More than funnels, I love the walls. What I call a wall means they're walking to a spot and they just can't go any further, and they've got to go left or right or or however. Am I making sense for you guys so far? Uh, like I said, this is a hard show to do because I'm I'm trying to not go into lecture mode. Okay. And give you, but yet give you all the information I possibly can for you, right? Uh, your water lines in the winter time, when it's cold like this, if it's froze, your coon are going to run in the water or on the ice, rather. Okay, but when the boar is is um, when the water's open, okay, a lot of times that boar is going to run up on top. The sow. Is she feeding at this time in the water? Probably not. Most of your crayfish, most down down south, that's that's going to be a different scenario. And if Jeff was listening, I would tell him to jump in here and, and 
you know, fill us in on those uh, crayfish. Now, he says they're crawfish, but I say they're crayfish. Um, and, and jump in on, on how they robbed the, the, uh, the traps and, and what have you. But they got open water down there. Okay, when you you get up here to the to the uh, uh, higher portions, okay, or the or the colder areas, then you got freezing. The the, the the raccoon's not going to to hit those areas as much. So you're going to key in on your funnel areas, okay, and you're going to look for those spots that the raccoons are going to be every time they're there. All right. Um, I hear a, there's a question here. It says, I'd like to hear your opinion and the degree of importance of something. I feel as though learning the target itself and its behavior in general. I'm not quite certain on what you're asking. Um, then he says the text box isn't cooperating. I'll ask the question later on in the show. Um, all right, guess 14. Just, yeah, text it in again so I... I um, I feel as though learning the target itself and its behavior in general. Uh, hey, let me see if maybe I can figure that one out um, because I have a habit of not doing it. How about how important do you feel it is for me to learn everything that I can about whatever species I'm trapping, whether it be raccoons, fox, or muskrats, then to help me better understand where to look locations to set the traps uh, absolutely the the more the more you can learn the better off you're going to be bill and 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 um and you're asking a question for him because you're understanding a little bit better um bingo he said you're hitting on it all right absolutely and it's just like i said you know me as a wildlife control specialist all right i i have spent 30 plus years studying the raccoon all year long uh you know i'm I'm known nationally as a squirrel man, okay, and I wrote the six phases of the gray squirrel in six months, but the raccoon and the skunk is probably known equally, if not more by myself um than than the squirrel and and the reason is i've I learned what and, and i'm I'm just using myself as an example, okay, I'm not saying I'm the best trapper in the world, but I'm not. The reason I, I, I learned that by learning the animal inside and out, if you will, okay, that you can always find the method or the location in which to trap it in. Is that, is it, is that making sense? Um, for example, knowing the female raccoon and where she is apt to den at when she's giving, getting ready to give birth, gives you a little headway, okay, on where she's going to run and look for food in the summertime. Where she's running and looking for food and teaching her young how to hunt and feed in the summertime, okay, gives you a headway or gives you a, a, an insight on where she's going to run in the fall. Where's she going to run into the fall? is where you want to try to catch her, okay? So by learning the spring, summer, and early fall traits, you now have the raccoon figured out to where you can, before you even set the trap, okay, before you even set the trap, you know where those coon are going to be. 
you guess 14 put in there. Understanding means more than trap brand. Which lure should I use? And other commonly asked questions. I find the actually catching the animal trend, uh, in trend tends. If you know your animal inside and out, if you know everything you possibly can about that animal, all right, you can, at that point, you can go back and you can figure out what method you want to use, what bait you want to use, what lure you want to use, what, if you want to go blind setter or what have you. Okay, and, and I was going to, I'm going to get out of location because it's boring me to death, and I'm going to get right into what he's talking about here, and, and, and it's, and it's, there's two forms of 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 trapping here, okay, and understanding and I and I posted something like that up on on um, I posted on the on T man um, these two mindsets, if you will, all right, and these two mindsets are very very important to understand. Although both mindsets are very, very good in, in productivity, and those mindsets are to this. One mindset is location based on methods, and the other is methods based on location. Now, the average trapper out there, okay, good trapper, I'm talking about good trapper, guy who knows what he's talking about. The average trapper out there, if he thinks about it, he might get mad and want to hang you right at this point until he thinks about it. The average trapper will be a location based on method trapper. What they've done is they've they've found one, two, three, four, whatever methods that work extremely well. They become very productive and efficient at making those sets, whether it's a foot trap or DP trapper or whatever, okay? And then they're going to subconsciously or consciously, they're going to seek the locations that those methods will fit in, okay? That system or that that mindset right there is very fast. It's very efficient, all right? And it's very productive. Nothing wrong with that system. The other system that's out there, methods based on location. That is something that I'm probably in, okay? And, and and I'll be the first one to tell you that when I, you know, I've, I've been trapping coon for 47 years now. I'm 58, and I started when I was 10, so that's going on 58 years now that I've been trapping coon and foxes, especially coon. And um, when I first started okay. trapping, I, when I first started trapping, I was definitely a location based on method. You know, you had a trap, you, you went out and you, you seek the spot that that trap would work. But now, some many, many years later, when I got into wildlife control and all that, the wildlife control has forced me into a methods based, based on location. And what that simply is this, I have learned or the trapper learns many, many variations of sets, okay? But we don't put our importance on the set. We put our importance on the location. And and guess 14 is really rattling off a bunch of uh, questions, and it's good. It's keeping my head focused here. To me, the location, okay, is the important 
part, remember, go back to where is the location that all the animals are going to go all the time. So at this point in time, I'm going to go to that location where, all the, where I figured all the animals are going to go, and I'm going to find my method that's going to fit that spot. And we're going to talk about that. And you're probably thinking, what in the heck is he talking about? Well, you know, when we get into the, uh, the, the sets, um, I've actually got about, let me count up here. I've got one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I got twelve, thirteen different DP sets that's out there that, that we use that I can go into, and no matter what situation I'm in, I can place this this DP trap into a situation and make it work. Okay, um, so the person knows why the animal person uh, passes through a certain area. Okay. At a certain times, they can apply these ideas to find other locations that are similar to that. Guess 14 hit the nail. I was just reading Guess 14's uh, statements there. And absolutely, everybody understand that? Okay. It's by understanding where that raccoon is going from point A to point B and understanding the time of year that that's causing that animal to go to point A to point B. All right makes you the better trapper. Now, this is where it's hard for the average trapper because I'm not describing any spot to you. And my bill. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not describing any one spot to you. And it's hard because the only way you can get to find those spots is you've got to get out and put dirt time in. You've got to get out there as a trapper and there's no easy way. You've got to get out and you've got to go on the stream bank. If you're going to be a water trapper, you have got to go down that water line. You've got to go down that stream. You've got to go down that creek, okay? And then you've got to find where those feeder streams come in, maybe where that logging, where that log crosses a stream, or where uh, there's a hard turn and then another stream comes in, okay? You find those spots, and then you've got to look at those spots, and you've got to say to yourself, is this one of those areas where the majority of the animals are going to go to? For example, do I want to walk 500 yards to catch two coon at one spot where I can go on either side of that and drive my vehicle and catch 10 coon here and 10 coons on the other side? Is that making sense to anybody out there? Um you have got to figure that out as a trapper. Uh, there's no easy way to do that other than getting your tail out there and finding out what the animals are doing. I, I saw on Facebook, somebody made a post that uh, putting a camera on sets may just prove that the animals aren't doing what the book says they're going to do. And that's so true in that factor. That's so, so true that... Um, you know, we've made our rules and we've made our do's and don'ts based on somebody who are in an area and has a, a certain mindset and they catch a lot of coon. So we say to them, well, you know what, he's catching a lot of coon there, so there's our do's and our don'ts. When your area, your do's and don'ts might not even be anything near that. The raccoons might not even care. Uh, and I'll use Bill Ford as an example. Bill Ford's raccoons down there where he's catching, okay, the, the the rules that he has to abide by is 
is nowhere near the rules that somebody say up uh, in New York State where it's froze um, three months out of the year. All right. So so you you've got it. You you have to get out there as a trapper. You have to do your dues. You have to pay your dues. You, you listen to guys like myself, or you listen to guys like Clint Locklear, or or Newt Sterling, or or, or Bob Jameson, and and all these other guys that's out there and talking. But you have got to be the one to do it. Right, have I beat that enough? Um, <laughs> I probably have. Okay, so you you got the point there. Okay, so and again, the mindset: Do you want to set location based on your methods, or do you want methods based on locations? I understand in that. Really, really helped you out when it comes time to to doing more than what we call the kiss situations. Okay, now going right into it, the long line, one stop, and both are right. You know, there's a couple different patterns in which we we set up our lines. And you notice I'm not talking about the the trapper debates, or am I? I, I? I'm talking a lot of what guys say is boring stuff. I say, come on, Jones, get into the stuff that I'm interested in. Get into the traps. Get into the set. Get into this. Get into that. And I, and, and, you know, I, and as I'm doing my wildlife control lectures, more and more, and I've been giving them since 1987. Um, uh, the guys, the biggest and gals, if you're listening, uh, if uh, the, the the biggest thing I can press to you, all right, it's not the trap. It's not the method. It's the coon. Knowing the critter, okay, being where the critter is at, knowing what the critter is going to do, understanding how the critter is going to react in a certain situation, okay, speeds up the learning curve and it catches the bigger 20 percenters. There, there's, there, you, you, you've, you've got to know location and critter and you know when we're talking about location uh, or let's put it this way when we're talking about the critter there's two basic concepts there there's habits and there's behavior now when you're dealing with the 20 the 80 percenters that we're talking about the, you know they're the easy ones to catch the ones that can by the way the ones that can really make you look good um, and I'll just give you a little tidbit you know back back a few years ago quite a few years ago I used to think I was a pretty doggone good coon trapper. I don't think I'm a good coon trapper. I think I'm an okay coon trapper now. But but at one time, I thought I was a pretty doggone good coon trapper. Because every time I came up to a cage or every time I came up to, you know, one of my sets, I had a coon in it. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, hey, Jonesy, you're, you're good. And then the, the invention of uh, trail cameras came out. And what I learned was... For every one coon I was catching, I was missing two or three as the best scenario, sometimes five or six. Five or six frigging coon would come by and not get caught, and then I'd catch the one dummy, okay? And it started to open my eyes up on what is this that's important, and I'm going to go right back into it, okay? For the 80%, habits are important. Going in, Cleaning out your, your, your population. If you've got a high population, your 80% is going to give you a lot of coon. If your hot population isn't high, your 80% is going to give you four or five coon. All right. But habits is important in those, in the 80%ers. 
where they're going to go generally, what they're going to eat generally, how they're going to react, blah, 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 blah. The habits, you know what I'm talking about. Pick up any coon book out there. They're filled with habits, 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 all right? But when you're dealing with those 20 percenters, okay, it's behavior. And what is behavior? Habit is species general. Behavior is individual specific. That coon right there is going to be a certain way because of its behaviors. And its behaviors is what it's learned and what it's been involved in, and it's going to react differently than possibly the general the general habits. Uh, making sense to you guys? If I'm not, but no. <laughs> I have a question now. Sure. I don't know if you, I don't know if you covered it or if you want to cover it, but just to help me, when I pull into a, you know, I pull into a piece of state land. Let's say it's 100 acres. Is there a place or two or three or how you know to start looking for these locations instead of just walking willy nilly through the woods back and forth? Is there something to look for specifically? Like, do I walk into the woods and do I look for oak trees or do I walk down the road and look for uh, maybe foxtail stands or something like that? Is there something that I can narrow down my search instead of spending just all day looking? Well, we, we've got the, it used to be topo maps, okay, and, 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 and I'm amazed at how many new travelers can't read a, a topo map or don't even know what a topo map is, but I can, I can understand now with the, the phones we have. But it used to be the topo maps. You would you would look at a topo, and then you would you would figure out the the by the terrain of the top topo. You would figure out how the coon was going to be reacting to possibly the ridges or 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 the uh, the water lines. And and, and I'm gonna and I'll and I'll just I'll talk about water line right now because that's where most guys are going to go. Although probably fifty to sixty percent of my raccoons come from what we call dry land sets. Okay, where their water's not even close. The average trapper, when you talk to him, Bill, like, you know, is going to go, uh, and ironically, you're a dry land trapper, too, and I won't say why I know that. I mean, other than we're good friends here. But um, the water line, for example, you can look at where that stream, stream is going with the topo, and then you can find where those feeders are coming in. You're going to find in where the, the, the drainage ditches or the drainage um, uh, areas are now. With the phones we have, and with the uh, Google Maps and all that, you can you can do the uh, the topo, you can do the terrain, and you can also do the satellite. The satellite is a great scenario because you can key in on those spots. Okay. Now, what you're going to do is where the eye, listen, where the eye comes to the base of the ears, like a screwdriver between the cartridge and the eye, and try it. Okay, I guess Bill's telling somebody how to t- how to uh, the skin. I was trying to figure out what he was talking about there. But getting back to it, I'm yo Bill. Put yourself on mute. Mute. Uh, mute. Um, I don't know how to work this damn phone. Eight hundred dollars. Hold on a minute. Let me know that. Put the phone on mute because I'm on this phone. <laughs> I think we, I can get a secretary of speed for this. All right, now we're back. Now we're back into it. Well, I thought we was okay. Anyway, 
what we're going to look at is that you're going to take your phones and you're going to look for areas. What I do is I'll look for the area where the coon are going to run. And then I'm going to look for those hubs. I'm going to look for those those um, uh, brick walls. I'm going to look for the places that's going to force the coon into a small area. All right? And I'm going to go to that spot and look at that spot. Now, now and I'll just jump into all this. I am a firm, firm believer in bait stations. Um, and it doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg um, to, to, to do them. Matter of fact, you can, you can put in bait stations and uh, with very little outlay, okay, you can, you can have your coon coming in there and you can, you can catch the majority of your coon off of these, these things. And you don't have to run what you call the, what I call the long line. You don't have to, you don't have to set up on all these, you know, walk 500 yards of, of uh, river or, or ridge top. You can literally go in and use your, use your topos, use your, your, your phone and see these areas where a feeder, for example, uh, a feeder stream will come into a, a, a larger river. We know the raccoons are going to run, run that river. But depending on, on the bank and depending on the water movement, the coon may be running low. We're in South Jersey here. We have tidal rivers. So we've got four to six feet of water every six hours of, of different changes. So if the tide's low, they'll be running on the beach or, or the sand or the gravel or the rocks. And as the tide comes up, they're going to run higher on it. Now, so that, that may give you a span of 50, 50, 60 feet in which there's a lot, there's three or four different trails running through there. So what I'll do, just for an example, just to give you a, a, a mindset, okay, I'll see where a feeder stream or, or, a, or a, uh, a trickle will come into that bigger body of water. I'll go to that spot and I will look. Is there a spot that narrows down? Is it does it drop down in? Is it a flat? Is it flat? Is it is it high banks? Is it low banks? And I will at that point put in what I call a feeder. Now a feeder for me can be two different things. I can dig a hole and actually put some 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 type of food down into it. I can uh go and get some uh bacon grease or I can go get some uh oil from uh, from the local Chinese store or, or Chinese restaurant or, or from one of the other McDonald's or something that's been frying onion rings and french fries and I can take the oil and pour it down into that dirt and mix it in there. I can use dog food. I can use cat food. I can use corn. I prefer to use on these feeders. I prefer to use um, corn and, and and dog food or cat food, the cheapest scrap I can get. Okay. And what I'll do is I'll take a uh, two to four inch piece of PVC. Four inch seems to be better. And I'll cut it in lengths of 24 inches. And I'll put a hole in the bottom of it. And just at the very bottom, I'll notch a hole into the bottom of it. And then I can take that piece of PVC and I can take one of those black plugs, you, you know, those, blacks, those plugs that you see inside the... Uh, Home Depot or whatever for the pipes, and you can shove that into the top if you want. But I'll take that piece of PVC and I'll push it right down onto the ground. I won't bury it into the ground, but I can push it right into the ground. I can actually screw that piece of PVC to a tree. 
I can screw that piece of PVC to a uh, piece of wood stake or whatever, and I can literally put it into that place right there, and I can fill that tube up with the dog food, or halfway full or whatever. Usually what I'm going to do at that point is I'm going to, two weeks before I want to trap that area, if it's an already established bait site, I'm going to go in and I'm going to put the bait in there, and I'm going to wait the two weeks, usually three or four days. They're go- they're cleaned up. If it's all cleaned up, even more, I might fill it up a little bit more. But usually, ten days, ten to fifteen days will cause what we what I call a habit, and it's going to force the critters, the coon especially, to every time they come through that area, they're going to go to that one spot. All right. Everybody understand what I'm saying? I've gone to the spot. They're always going to go. Now I just got a micro location. This thing I've got to bring it down into a tighter area. All right, I want it into a a positive spot so I can take that that tube, that bait station, fill that bait station up with just whatever cheap stuff I can use or have. And then when they're all said and done, that thing, okay, the bait itself, I can now come in with my cages or I can come out with my DPs. I prefer to set up the bait stations when they're empty, but right empty or or just about empty. I want the coon in a habit of feeding on these things, all right? And then what I'm going to do is I'll come in with my DP traps, and I'll usually, in a place like that, I'll usually put in three DPs, and if it's a really, really, really good spot, I'll put in five DPs, all right? Now, if you do your mathematics and you've got some good coon populations, okay, you can you can catch yourself a bunch of coon if you're thinking on these terms. I only put my bait stations into locations where I think or I know I can catch in New Jersey. I can catch five to ten coon in five to seven nights. Now, you get out in Iowa, you get out in the Midwest. I talked about them guys out there in the, in the Coon Belt areas, and I, and I, and I, and I envy them. them. Them guys have so many stinking coon, it's, it's unbelievable. But, you know, you get in here into the northeast, you know, Maine, you get a guy that, up in Maine that can catch 100 raccoons. He's a doggone good coon driver. You get a guy um, here in Jersey that can catch a couple hundred coon in, in, in a trapping season. He's a, he's a pretty doggone good coon trapper. Um, you know, you get in Iowa, 200 is nothing. So out in those areas, but the point I'm trying to make is if I can, in my area here, if I can catch five to 10 coon in five to seven nights and I can pick out 20 locations to do this with, how many coon can I catch? Guys, understand what I'm what I'm saying here. Um, you can catch a bunch of coon if you're on jobs. If I'm if I'm running a job, I'm getting ready here to start a, a, a predation job, and it's exactly what we're going to do. My wife will be helping me run this job, and it's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to have five stations. We're coming in. We're setting up five bait stations, and within a week, hopefully, the the animals are eating the uh, the bait to almost gone. And then I can come in with my traps, and I can set them up, and bam, 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 get them caught, and get them caught quick. Will right. you use the same bait 
as you use food or you switch it up to give them something different? I switch up, but me personally. Okay, now, is there a right or wrong? Uh, it's going to be depending on who you talk to. I am going to switch up, and Bill, you know me. I'm a sweet, I'm a sweet bait man, okay? Well, I'm not getting into the beating systems yet. I'm just wondering about nah. I'm going to change up. I question on the backside of that. All right. Okay. Um, now, one of the places I'm trapping, and I know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to ask you. One of the places I'm trapping, they're going out in the med and eat my muskrats. Uh, and I'm going to be using cages, maybe dog food, but just my mentality, I love my cages. And I have more of them. Uh, since you know, we know they're going to go eat muskrats, would you use muskrats, or would you throw, let's say, I don't know, just for the hell of it, um, a persimmon paste or maybe some molasses and bird seed or something like that? And where I have them, I still got corn in some of these fields even. Would you switch up and maybe go with a fish bait there instead of using, you know, a vegetable type of bait? Um, how, how do I say this? You put a table out, you yell, the kid, yell for the kids to come in and eat, and on the table you have cupcakes and pie and cake, and then you have roast beef and mashed potatoes and corn. And you tell the kids, eat whatever you want, what are they going to eat? Okay, now, I'm saying all that to say this, all right? They're going out on the meadow to eat muskrats because that's what they know there's out there to eat, okay? Same thing with the bait station. They're coming into the bait station because they're eating whatever you got there. But what I want to do in my DP traps, especially since we're talking about that, is I want to put a bait or a lure into those that is not a food but a snack, same thing with my cages, and, you, and you've heard me talk about that with the cages. I don't feed my coons in the traps, whether it's a DP trap or or a, or a cage. I'm snacking them in. I want the sucker to eat a pretzel, okay? I want him to eat a, a chocolate chip cookie. I want him to eat a, a piece of jerky, if you will, all right? You know, if I have a piece of uh, old dried-out roast beef or I have a piece of uh, jerky laying there, I'm going to grab the jerky. Why? Because it's got a better taste to it. I want something that's going to eat better. So when we're getting into the bait stations or we're getting into to the, the food sources, for me personally, all right, I'm going to change up and give them something different. You're going to hear a lot of guys out there who's going to be uh, the opposite spectrum, if you will, and they're going to be right because they're catching a lot of critters, okay? So the key there is, especially in a DP trap, my opinion, and my opinion only, or a cage trap, my opinion, and my opinion only, is something that is going to be sent to the tongue. All right? And might as well go right into baits. There, there are distinct differences of baits out there. There's distinct differences in lures out there. There is the trap line, what we call the smell attraction okay and these are going to be the the uh the baits and the lures okay in which when you read the directions they say um place the the bait or lure 
so that the animal steps on the pan or the trigger before he gets to the baits and the lures. These are the typical trap line baits that we're going to deal with that are great baits, uh, Carmen's, um, Jameson's, uh, Blackie's Blends, you know, all these guys out there, Cats Brothers, the, 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 the lures are absolutely great lures. No, no, no problems with them, okay? The, the problem with those lures is this. When you're getting into a DP trap or you're getting into a um, gauge trap, but we'll talk about the DP trap, is if for some odd reason that, that, that critter doesn't get down in there and pull that trigger or push that trigger and he pulls his hand out and takes a lick of that smell-attracting lure, okay, is he going to go back into it? Um where, okay, and again, my opinion, that's been based on since 1987, I give them something that they shove their hand down in that DB trap, they pull it out because they didn't pull out the trigger or they didn't push, push down on the trigger, and they lick it, and it tastes good, what are they going to do? They're going to go right back into that sucker. If you go over on my Facebook, my Rednecks Pride, uh, Rednecks Pride Game Calls and Outpercents Facebook page, you're going to see I've got some videos up there of a of a raccoon digging into a, a, a PVC pipe, and I use PVC to train uh, guys how to use uh, dog poos in the off season. I and I and I do this on a regular basis. There's here's number one. This is worth your whole time listening to this show. Okay, you learn how to trap with DP traps in the off season without using a DP trap. You go out and you buy yourself a two-inch piece of uh, PVC. You cut it on a wedge or you stick it on a stick. And you go out to these locations and you put a camera up on them and you stick them in the ground and you see how the coon react to them. You see how the coon react to the, 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 the baits. You can see how they they um, um, react to the tubes. You there? Testing baits and lures. All right. So um, the, the, the the tube is the greatest thing, but over on my Facebook page, I've got some Banana Supreme where the raccoon is just digging down in there. He just And that video that I posted up there was five days after I baited it. So in other words, I took a spoonful of uh, Banana Supreme, shoved it down in the pipe, and then five days after, they were still digging for it. And that's what, you're, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that's going to continue to dig. So whether it's a dry bait or, or, or a... Uh, uh, lure or what have you, um, that I want them to keep digging back in and out of it. All right. Now, here's another tidbit that you're going to hear from me and probably not a whole bunch of other people. I prefer a hollow fill or, or fiber fill or, or, you know, one of those pillow filling things, you know, what we call them. Yeah, you know, I cut them in a in a in a in a piece that fits tight in the bottom of that DP trap, and I'll shove it down underneath that trigger, and then I'll take a taste lure, persimmon, sweet corn, whatever lure uh, you can. If you want to make your own, you could you could take honey and, and molasses or honey and and uh, um, syrup, 
or you could take even honey and, and uh, a little bit of fish oil if you wanted a fishy odor or, or take some sardines and blend them up real good and put them in another syrupy type uh, base and pour it down into that and let, and let that hollow fill uh, suck that 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 uh, smell up, okay, or that juice up. And what happens there is, especially if you add a little glycerin to it, it won't freeze up, number one. But when he reaches down in there, okay, and he pulls his paw back out and he licks his fingers, it's like it's like licking the, you know, you you know, you've been picking up chicken and eating chicken all night, and and you're licking the, the grease off your fingers. At least I do that. All right, it's the same thing where he's going to go in, and then at that point he's going to, if he keeps going in and out, he's going to grab that trigger and he's going to pull it or push it or, or, or what have you. Now, here's a here's a uh, something that uh, a lot of people don't believe. <laughs> Not all coon reaches in its DP trap and pulls up on the trigger. Okay, I have got raccoons uh, on camera where they go in multiple times into a DP trap, taking the bait out and never once pulling that stinking trigger up. All right. Um, majority of them will. So what I try to do with that hollow fill is I'm filling that thing up to the bottom of that uh, trap, and I'm filling the juice up in there, so as he's reaching in there and he's feeling a hollow fill or a piece of leather works very well, a cotton ball, marshmallow works also. Okay, marshmallows, when they get wet, though, they, they tend to break faster. But what I'm actually doing it is, in this case is I'm taking that fiber, um, putting it in the bottom, so when he grabs a hold of that and he starts to pull up on that, even if he doesn't have a hold of the trigger, now the trigger's going to come up. And, I, and I've seen my catch ratio go up, go way, way up, okay, ever since I started using something like a hollow fill or a, or a fiber fill or, or, you know, what I'm talking about. The uh, uh, foam rubber is even a, a very good uh, base down in there. Uh, I prefer something white so they can see in there, but, but again, if, it's, if it doesn't really matter on that. But, I, but I'll take that, that lure and I'll squirt that lure down in there or if I got a pace bait, I'll take the pace bait before I set the trap, and I'll and if I'm using a spoon or or my knife, and I'll get it and I'll work that pace bait right into that hollow fill. Um, I want him to grab that hollow fill. I am not particular. Nothing wrong with this, guys. Okay, but and gals, nothing wrong with filling your trap up except for on a push pull system. I think that's where you get a lot of short catches. You get them caught around the the, the toes. So as they're pushing down on it, the pressure of them feet pushing down on the, the cat food or, or what have you, it can spring the trap off prematurely, and that's where you get the catch, you know, right on the toes, if you will, or the fingers, and that's where you get a lot of those pullouts. So if you want to use your dry fill, you're going to use your dry stuff. Again, if I'm going to use cat food or fish food or something like that or dog food, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it down in there under the hollow fill, push the hollow fill down on top of it, sprinkle a few more on top so he can reach in. I'm not feeding him. I'm snacking him. I want him to continue to go in there, in and out, in and out, if, so if, if, until eventually he will grab a hold of that trigger and pull it up, or eventually he will push down on that on that trigger. Okay? Um, 
I, you're, obviously, you've already heard me saying this. I am a sweet bait man. The only time I won't use a sweet bait is if I suspect I got gray foxes or 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 or, or uh, red foxes, and I really want them into the trap. Even though gray foxes will go to a sweet bait, a lot at that point I will go to a fish or I will go to a uh, a meat type bait. Um, and I and I've got a set here we're going to talk about in a few seconds that that. I actually developed, I guess, if you will, for the, for the gray fox uh, and red fox in mind. Problem with a lot of our red foxes here in the Northeast is their paws are too big to get down into that new size um, DDP trap. They're not quite two inches in diameter. If you had a two-inch diameter um, opening, you would, uh, we would catch more more red foxes. I think sheep will. Works great, as uh, guest number two said. He, he uses sheep wool. That's a great thing. Problem with sheep wool is you gotta keep buying it. Um, where the, uh, the you know what gets out and it seems to disappear. I can go buy a bag of uh, hollow fill and cut it in my squares, and that'll last me all season, even when it gets lost. So again, there's no right and wrong. It's all it's all what you are accustomed to doing. Okay. Very important, though, guys. Know your difference between haste baits, regular trapline baits. What's a taste bait? Your cat food, okay? Your cupcake. My redneck pride stuff is is taste baits. Most of them. Um, piece of ham, <laughs> chicken bone. Okay, they're all taste baits. What is a smell attractant bait? Anything that the old boys use for dirt holes, all right, sticking down in the ground, um, put the bait in there, catch the animal before he gets to the bait. There are distinctly two different uh, types of baits and lures out there. And again, I'm partial to taste baits because I want them to keep on going back in. All right. This time of year, the land lures, even with the DPs, are massive, massive, massive producers. Um, my son was kidding around and put on Facebook that he challenged me to a, every year he does this. And by the way, I'll tell you what, he, he's a 26-year-old kid, Jennings, and I'll put him up against uh, many, many a trapper um, when it comes to catching coon. He, he's, uh, he's a, I, I, I tell him he ain't no good, but let me tell you what, he can, he can give me my run. Um, matter of fact, he spanked me this time around. But, um, he he went out and he set up five DP traps, and he used um, sweet corn, I believe it was. I can't remember the lure that was down inside there, but I believe it was sweet corn. And then over top of three of those traps, he put in all gland all call, which is a gland lure. Okay, and and again, I'm not promoting my stuff. I'm just talking here, guys. Any gland lure, any fox gland. Coyote gland, bobcat gland. Oh my God, bobcat gland it was unbelievable uh, for raccoons. But he put the three traps that he put all call over top of, not in, but over top of, hanging three, four, five inches above it. Okay, the very next morning, those three traps held borcoon. The two traps that he didn't put gland lore had nothing. Okay. Just goes to show this time of year when you're in the wintertime, when you're in the when you're in the breeding season, 
gland lure, okay, will catch the heck out of great big boars. But, but, may actually have a negative on your souse. So, you gotta, you gotta watch. I'm not saying they never won't, and I'm saying they never will catch sows because gland, I've caught plenty of uh, sow coon on gland lure. But I will de- most definitely catch bigger boars on gland lure. So if I'm after the big boars, I'm going to go after a a taste bait inside the DP trap. But right over top of that, I'm going to have a gland lure somewhere. And then I will probably, if it's cold, I will probably have some type of a call lure, whether it's going to be a skunk smell or I'm I'm partial to uh, my... my uh, Coon uh, call has a very strong uh, clam odor to it, and my uh, my other one, Old Swamp, or um, let me refer to that. My Old Swamp has a very strong clam, and my Coon call has a very strong fish um, smell to it. So uh, I will use them as a call lure to 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 pull and to call when it's when it's when it's cold out there. But I don't put it down in the trap. I'm going to use it as a call three or four foot above the the trap. I'll come in on a little bit lower with the gland lure. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to use the the air currents. So in other words, I got the one call. It's going to reach out 10, 15, 20 feet, 30 feet, whatever it is. I've got my next scent, which is going to reach out half that distance, and then I've got then I've got the the the, the bait down inside the the trap that hopefully is going to uh, pull them in even more. Okay. Now, I'm not going to get into anchoring. I'm looking at my uh, DP course, and I'm, and I'm just breezing over top of it, and I'm just picking out what's what's probably be good for you guys and what's not good for you guys. Um, so I'm not even going to get into a lot of this other stuff, but but I want to talk about visuals. All right, some of the sets I'm going to get into right now, and I'm going to talk to you about. So we're running we're running uh, an hour and ten minutes, which is a long time. I didn't think I think we'd be closed by now. But the sets that we're going to get into is not going to be your typical uh, eye appeal sets that you're going to be used to when we're talking about DP traps. If I'm setting a kiss set or a stupid set or standard set, I'm going to have my traps black. I'm going to have my traps white. Okay, I'm trying the traps with the uh, uh, the glow in the dark paint I'm not impressed okay but but I'm still trying them okay I'm always going to have on my kiss sets my stupid sets I'm always going to have a marshmallow on top or a golf ball okay um, there's a lot of DP uh, trap caps out there um, I think they are the greatest thing since slight spread I don't use them because I, I use marshmallows and it's just the way I do it. But but I guarantee you, if somebody was to give me some of those caps, I would be using them. All right. Um, they keep the mice out of it. They're on eye appeal, which is the number one key. You've got the DP trap sitting out, it's sitting in the trail. Hopefully, most of you, when you want to set your DPs, you're not going to try to draw a coon more than five feet. And if you ever listen to my cage trap talks. 
over in, uh, in my earlier shows, you're going to hear that I say I find it extremely hard to draw a coon or to consistently draw a coon five, six, seven, more than five or six feet. Now, I'm not saying you can't. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I'm looking at the ratio of I want every coon to be able to move whatever distance off that trail, and I'm finding that I can do that within five feet, but I can't do it once you get past five feet. So other guys may differ with that, and that's fine. They And they may be doing very good. And for me, five feet is my limit to try to draw. So I want I appeal with that 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 uh, standard set. I want something on top of it, but it goes beyond that. Not only eye tractor, not only keeping the mice out, by me taking a marshmallow, okay, or an eggshell, or a uh, golf ball, but particularly something that's edible or or that they're going to want to chew on, okay. By me putting that on top of that trap, it also helps me to see when an animal was there. And what I've found is this, same thing with my cage traps. I don't want to wait three to five days to find out a raccoon is just walking past my set. I want to know that the raccoon is there, and I want to know what he's doing and when he's there. Uh, I didn't touch on circuits. Uh, that was, we talked a little bit about that back in Sean's um, uh, talk a few weeks ago. Uh, raccoons, I will say this, raccoons, except for end up cold weather, all raccoons have a circuit. I don't care where you're from. I don't care whatever, okay? All raccoons will have a circuit. It may not be this, the same time frame, but all raccoons will have a circuit. Meaning, in my area, my boar raccoons, my males, will have an 8 to 10 day circuit. My sows will have a 5 to 8 day circuit. All right? What changes that again is snow, bad cold weather, holing up, or what have you. But even at that, like right now, even though it's cold out, all right, my boars are moving, okay, and they're going to be on a circuit and they're going to run. And I can, I can figure out by going into a piece of uh, area, I can put out some bait, and I can see that the bait was gone in three days, and then nothing's touched after that. I can I can start to calculate, okay, okay, this is going to be here, probably blah, 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 blah. Five days from now, they should be back in, or six days or seven days or something like that. And this really, really works. And, again, I found this out in wildlife control. I didn't find this out as a fur trapper. There's no way you could find this out as a fur trapper. Unless you're going out and you're marking the raccoons or, and you're putting a camera on a den or what have you, uh, you would, as a fur trapper, you're not going to be able to see this. But as a wildlife control, I see it on a regular basis because I'm dealing with raccoons and known dens and people being able to tell me when they're there. And over the last 30-plus years, we've been able to figure out in my area, five to eight days for sows, eight to ten days for boars, except for cold weather, okay? And even at that, it's amazing how often they'll leave the, the, the site the, the den, and then come back, or when they're getting ready to drop their pups. And then going back to knowing things going on, you know, uh, year-round, 
when when the sale's ready to drop her pups, she will spend she will pick out three or four dens, and then all of a sudden she'll just be at one, and she'll be there every night. So that's how I can tell when we're starting to get into the into the the, the having a having a pups um, uh, time frame. Sorry to bother you on that one, but anyway, getting back to to the circuits. So they're on a circuit. Everything's got a circuit. That's why when you're in a low density area or or if you're in a um, winter time where the sales are going to be denned up more, you're going to be able to start to see these circuits a little bit better. You can see where there are three or four days of good solid movement, and then all of a sudden you have five days of no movement hardly whatsoever, and every one of us has seen it. I know Bill has. Um, and I know Jeff has, where you go in there, and you've got bam, 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 you catch the coon, and all of a sudden it's a dry spell, you got no more coon. And then all of a sudden, X amount of days later, bam, 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 it happens again. That's the circuits. You're seeing the actual circuits that they're, that they're, that they're working on. Okay. So getting back to the DP trap, I've been bouncing around. I know that. I'm just rushing now because I'm looking at the time. Getting back to the DP trap. Okay. If I'm using a standard set, I'm going to put the strap right in the trail where his nose is going to hit the trap. I'm going to put a marshmallow or an eggshell on top because if I come back tomorrow and that eggshell is still on or that marshmallow is still on, I can tell tell you that either the coon was there and it didn't like my baits or lures or there was no coon there. And most of the time it's going to be no coon there because even the coon, if he doesn't like your bait or lure, he'll pull the the, uh, marshmallow off and either throw it to the side or eat it. Okay, stick his nose there. If he doesn't like it, then he'll move on. So when I see that gone, I know I've had an animal there. If I come back and do that two, three times and the marshmallow is gone and I can see a coon's been there and he's not hitting the bait, this is where I go into one of these other sets that we're going to talk about. Okay, and again, and I've, I've got 13 different sets. I'm not going to uh, cover them all, but I'm going to cover four or five of the absolute best sets out there that I can use if they're they're uh, they're variations if you will but here's the key and here's how, here's what happens traps or or coon will become trap shy I don't care what type of trap you have they will become trap shy and they don't have to be caught to become trap shy if you've got a coon that is a little bit on the spooky side, if you've got a coon that's a little bit on the cautious side, coming by a spot there's three or four other coons been caught, sometimes they will avoid them unless you can really persuade them to go in there. So it's what I call changing perception. Okay, Presentation of the trap totally changes. Instead of this thing sticking up out of the ground, I now offer different set variations, if you will, with the DP trap to confuse them, all right, or to uh, mess their mind up a little bit, if you will. One of the, and, and again, these sets that I'm going to talk about right now, I can't tell you how many times I've I've had people either call me or I've called folks where they're saying to, where you hear them like on Trapper Man or, or wherever, okay, you hear them say, I caught. 20 coon in a week's time. And then all of a sudden, the catch stopped. I can't catch anymore. They're walking around the trap. 
And everybody immediately starts to say, change the bait, it's the bait, it's the Lord, do this and do that. And then what I'll do is I'll, behind the scenes, nobody knows what I'm doing, I'll call them or I'll text them, and I'll say, change your set presentation. They'll call me, and I'll give them some of these, these, set, these, these sets, okay, and they'll usually call me back in a week or two and say, my God, I'm catching 20 to 25 pounders. The ones that was walking past there, I'm now catching. Okay, now, a 25-pound coon in New Jersey is going to be a big old coon. So, but, but out in Iowa, uh, out in the Midwest, a 25-pound coon is a pretty good coon from what I'm hearing from most of those guys, okay? Uh, Jersey, if you catch a 20, 22-pound coon, you're, you're, you've, got a, you've got a pretty good bruiser. You, we hear about 25-pounders, but they're not, they're not as um, prevalent as you would think they are. Number one set that I love, without a passion, is what I call can't see them. All right. And I developed this trap, and, I, and, and, and again, I, I, I wish I could say I was the first one to develop this, but about the time I thought I had it developed, I saw somebody else has developed it somewhere else, and so great minds think alike. But typically what I will do is I'll take this trap, and I developed it for the gray foxes, and I'll take that, this DP trap, and I will dig a dirt hole, and I'll dig this dirt hole down into the ground, and I will dig it just deep enough that the lip of the trap, the top of the trap, is sticking, is just below the surface of the hole. Now, angle of the hole makes no difference. If you want to do it straight down, you can. If you want to do it on an angle, I usually do it on a, on a 45, probably because of the old foothold days. We can't use footholds anymore, but the old dirt holes that we used to dig, you always dug them on an angle. So, you know, typically I... I, I did. I do that, okay. But you want to make your hole just a little bit bigger than than the trap. Remember the spring. That's all I'm going to say on that. Bigger hole. Remember the spring. If you can't figure that out, then don't do this set, okay. I'm going to take the trap and I'm going to stick it down in that hole, okay. Now, if you got a hole going straight up and down, you can do that. But if you've got heavy rains coming in, that hole is going to fill up. So you got to make sure you. It's going to fill up on an angle, too, but you've got to make sure it doesn't freeze in there, in other words. Um, so I, I put my trap down in there so the top of that trap is just below the surface of the, of the, of the landscape. Okay? And I'm going to take grass. I'm going to take leaves. Um, if your state will allow feathers or, or, or something like that, by all means, that doesn't hurt. Okay? But I will take the grass and the leaves and, and whatever, and I'm going to fill around the trap. I'm not going to pack it in. All right, I'm just filling it in. The reason I'm filling it in, in case rains do come or something comes, I don't want dirt washing into that into that hole. So I fill that thing with grass, and then I've got I can either leave a little bit of a hole there that they can see down in, okay, or I can simply cover the whole thing up so they can't sit. What I've actually done in this case here, all right, is I've taken the trap that they was used to sticking up out of the ground and and Joe and and George was caught in, okay, even though I don't think they comprehend, I'm not going to say that the animal comprehends the, the trap as a trap. I'm going to say he, I say the animals see it as a negative and they avoid it. They're not scared of it because they keep walking past it, but they're avoiding it for whatever reason. By taking that trap, sticking it down in a hole, filling it up with grass, putting the bait in there, 
I have now given them a curiosity factor. All right, they're coming through there. There's a visual there. They 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 all know what holes are. Okay, there's a visual there. They come up to it. It's a different scenario. Caution is lessened now. Their curiosity, they got to know what's down in that hole. And I can't tell you how many people I've told to do this set where everybody's telling them, change your bait, change your bait, change your bait. I tell the people, look, just put that set in. You use the same bait you got, same thing. And they call me back and say, I'm catching coon again. Okay? That's the one. That's, the, that's what I call the can't see them. Another set that is unbelievable. It's great. I had a guy call me up two days ago saying he used it. The mound set, it's a grass mound set. He said he used it, bam, working like charm, okay? And what I do in a case like this is we take that set and use a standard set, stick it into the ground. But the key here is you're going to have that 10, 20, 15 feet, 30 feet, whatever, off the edge of the woods in a field that's flat, all right? And I take that trap and I shove it in the ground like I normally would, anchor it like you normally would, all right? But now what I do is I take leaves, I take grass, I take hay or whatever. I bait the trap up in there, and then I just pile this grass up over top of it. And I've had mounds three foot high. (laughs) I'm kidding you not. And in the middle of this mound, I've got the DP trap. All right. On the top of that mound, what I will usually do, especially this time of year, I'm going to use a gland lure. All right. Why? Because I'm pulling the big boars in. Uh, I'll also use a call lure if I need to. Uh, I don't have to use any flagging or anything. It's amazing how these raccoons will see this mound of grass there, and they are drawn to it. And I can't tell you how many times a coon I've caught in a set like this, because when they come up to it, they look, all they see is a mound, but they can smell that, whatever food source you have in there, okay? They can smell it. And they start rooting it. The more they're rooting, it's what I call "you can't have it" mindset. I, I have a I have a set with my with my uh, cage traps that you can't have it set, where I just load that sucker up with bait and lure and close the sucker down and make them flip the trap and make them break the, you know push the trap all over. Then I set it up and I'll and I'll catch them like that. So it's the same concept. You can't have it, but I want it. And they'll go looking for it. And they'll reach in and they'll grab the trap. I can't tell you how often that trap gets caught. The hay bale set. Okay. The set in which I'll take a hay bale. Do the same thing as a mound set. But you just take the hay bale. And if I want to, um, if, if, if I can either take and cut a hole in the top of the hay bale. Okay. Just deep enough that I can shove that trap down in there. And I do the exact same thing that I did with the dirt hole, only I'm using a, a hay bale. And where this, this trap really excels is when the ground is frozen and you, you can't, you know, have a hard time digging that hole in, right? You take that, that, that trap and shove it down in the top of that. You just cover it up with the hay. Again, bait it up, and again, I'm going to put a gland lower in there. Another variation of that hay bale is I will take and do the same thing on the side of the hay bale. Take my take my my uh, little shovel and just cut that cut that hay notch in there, shove it in there, fill it in there. The same thing. They know something's there. They can the visual attractor is not the trap like it is with the standard set. The visual attractor is the hay bale, the mound of hay, 
the fresh dirt pattern, the fresh dirt smell, okay? Um, I have another set, the leaning tree. Um, probably not going to get into that one. Log crossing. Just think about this, guys. Log crossings. I have. I can't tell you how many times people will say to me, they'll set a snare on a log, but they won't set a DP. And they say, how the heck do you set a DP on a log? Well, it's simple. I take my, my, my little electric drill gun and take a 5-8 bit, all right, bore it right into that log, take the trap and stick it right down in there, wire it to the log, all right? There's your log crossing. Again, great trap, but even better, okay? Got a old dead log next to a stream. The coon are, are um, you know, that, that type of dead log that, you know, when you kick it, turns into like a peat moss type thing. What I'll simply do there is when I, now again, we're talking about the 20 percenters, guys, okay? Which means your dummies are going to fall into it too. But all these sets, keep, keep in mind, all these sets are not for the dummies. Even though the dummies get caught, these are for the 20 percenters, the ones that's avoiding the standard set, all right? You take that old log that's rotted and will turn into a, into a, uh, um, peat moss type thing. And you take your saw and you take your, 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 your shovel and you just bash a hole in the side of it or in the top of it. And you, you cut that hole. It takes you three seconds on an old rotted log or a stump. You can even do it with a stump. You take that trap and you stick it down into it. But on that particular set, I don't cover it. I just leave it in there so the top of the trap is even with the top of the log. Fill it in with the peat so it doesn't freeze, you know, or, or Fill it in with grass if you want to. And again, put your bait in there, but I, that, that particular set I leave open. Um, that would be the fallen log, the log crossing, the, the, the rotted log set, the hollow tree set, uh, fence post sets. One of the best, if you've got a fence post, no cattle in the field. Obviously, you don't want to put traps in with cattle or whatever. But you get frozen ground, and you get that old fence post that's a corner, or you get that fence post where the cooner just running that next to that fence post. It's a old wooden fence post. I'll simply take my drill gun, and at about eight to ten inches up, I'll drill, I'll drill a hole in that in that fence post or old rotted log that's sticking up if you wanted to, and take that trap and just set it in vertically, right? So it's now not straight up and down, but it's now sticking out. And then what I can do on that case there is I'll walk on over and I'll grab some of that long stringy grass, you know, the maybe it's hay, maybe it's just a love grass or whatever, but I'll come back and I'll just drape it over top of that over top of that trap. Baited the same way. Okay. Um it screws their brain up, guys and gals. It, I, I cannot tell you I have I have watched, you know, where they would walk past a set after set after set, but then all of a sudden you just, in exact same location, same bait, just change the presentation up, okay? And that big old coon, he's got to investigate it. What the friggin' heck happened here? What, What is this? I smell it. I can't see it. I've got to check it out, all right? And last but not least, my most favorite set of all is the pocket set. I love this set without a passion. I, I, this is a great set for me. 
I go in there on a good hard cut bank. We all know what a pocket set is, all right? Now, there's a couple variations I do to this. You can have the single hole pocket set. You can have a three hole pocket set. You could have a, a, a two trap pocket set. But what I simply do is I go in and on the vertical bank, I dig the hole again big enough that I can put the trap in there and that when the spring goes off, it's working. Very, very, very important. All right. Back when I first started doing this stuff, I didn't think about that. And I can't tell you how many traps I had sprung, or not sprung, let's put it that way, but the dirt stopped the trap from going off all the way, and the raccoon got out of it. So you dig the trap, you dig the hole, you can make it perfectly round, you can make it oblong. You know what? You know, I've heard some guys say when you make a pocket set, you've got to make that, that, that set perfectly round. Do you really think the animal cares? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, think about this, you know. It's just like a snare loop. Do you really think the animal cares um, whether it's tear shop shaped or egg shaped or oblong? Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. But anyway, you put the pocket set in there. And I'll stick that, that pocket set in to where the trap is three or four inches deeper into the hole. All right. And what I want to do in a pocket set is because it's less apt to freeze. I don't have to worry about it freezing as much. I can take that trap and push it in, and most of our traps are going to have a spade at the bottom of the of the pin or, or some type of a spade. When I push it in, when I get it into the position or, or the, 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 the area in which I want the trap to be at, I'm going to give it another quarter turn. And what that does is that takes that spade in it, and it takes it out of the slot that you pushed it in with, and it turned it sideways to where it's now it's got a little bit of friction. I want just a little bit of resistance on it. So when he's reaching in and he's pulling on it, I don't want that trap coming out real, real easy. I want, it, I want him to, to, to yank on it. Matter of fact, I want all my traps to be yanked on. All right. I will at that point in a pocket set with the trap recessed in the hole a little bit more. Okay. I am going to use a, usually a marshmallow. The reason I like a marshmallow in that thing is I can put my two fingers, I can put my thumb and my forefinger in the middle of that marshmallow, and I can squeeze on the middle of that marshmallow, and it literally expands the diameter of the marshmallow. And then I can push that into the trap just a little bit. Now, obviously, I've baited my trap with whatever I want. I prefer, if I'm using, and again, this, this is just to give you an idea for me, no right or wrong, I prefer either my Goddard Gun or my Banana Supreme or my Nomos, okay, as a paste bait, then I'll put a little bit of lure in there also. I want two to three odors in that trap. If I can segregate it, I'm going to, right? And, and if you want to learn more about that, you've got to go over to one of my, my uh, coon trapping talks that I've given on the cage traps because I really go into detail, I think, on that. But I'd like to have my smells segregated, so I want at least two smells in that in that trap, okay? So I've got my bait, which is Banana Supreme, maybe, or Nomos, Got Her Done, um, maybe uh, whatever. And then and then on my uh, lure, I may have a That's It, or I may have a Sweet Corn or a Persimmon. I love Persimmon, by the way, guys. Uh, I, also, I have a Blue a Purple Passion, which is a really, really hard-smelling coon lure. They love that. 
but anyway, I'm going to have that in that hole. I'm going to take my I'm going to take my marshmallow. I'm going to stick it in the hole right there on the lip of the pocket set. Use your fish oil. Use your call lure. Use whatever lure you want to use. I I tend to at that point use one of my coon call lures at that spot. That hole there in the side of that um, bank, all right, is a natural attractant, and I will never, if I'm in a good deep stream, and here's here's the honest truth, and if you go over to my Facebook page, you'll see pictures of this, okay? If I put a standard trap in a stream bed, I can guarantee you within 20 feet of that trap, I am looking for a pocket set. I will always put combos in, a standard set and a pocket set. And I can honestly tell you that the pocket set outproduces the standard set most of the time. Okay. Well, it's almost an hour and a half of me jawing to you guys, and and um, I'm trying to go back up here and see if there's any uh, questions. If anybody's got any more questions, real quickly, uh, roam down here as I'm just finishing up jawing. Um, Guess nothing's happening, Jeff. I know you're listening. You got anything, Bill? You got anything? Uh, no, not that I can think of. You pretty much covered it. Um, I'll show I will tonight. Then we have our next one. We'll work on it. Um, yeah, no, you pretty much covered all my questions that I was thinking of. You answered. All right. So, well, yeah, I guess. So, well, one little thing. The you said about putting the gland lure. You only go like six inches over the trap. You don't hang it up like five feet so that it makes a cone. No, no, because I, I'm actually using the gland lure to pull him right there. I want him right there. Um, I'm using he, and and again, you 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 hit a really good point there. And there's something that a lot of trappers today don't think about. Um, deer hunters think about that more than than trappers do, but but. Uh, it's it's you know the 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 air currents or the or the uh, levels if you will or or whatever you want to call it you know as a call lure if if I'm going to go with a call lure to call a great distance I'm going to go three to five feet in the air you're going to want a really good offensive or hard call you want you want a note that's going to reach out and that when it's carrying downwind and by the way guys since I'm saying this wind is as important in DP traps as they are with foot traps or with cage traps, okay? It, it, it's all the same. But you go, I go three to five feet with a good call lure. Now, maybe it's a good fish oil type lure with a good strong smell to it. Maybe it's a skunk lure uh, uh, smell. Maybe it's a uh, a good rotten, and, and, and I cannot explain this to save my life. And here's a tidbit I'll give you out, give out. Nasty, rotten, God-forbidden clams or nasty, rotten, God-forbidden crabs, all right? They're, they're, they're terrible, all right? Them stinking coon will, will be drawn to them things like there's no tomorrow. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I got a long-call fish bait that I don't even like to use it, <laughs> okay? And, and it's just... Uh, 
the coon is a nasty, nasty odor, and them coon are drawn to it, and they'll eat it. And I don't understand why. But so, so you take a, a good, strong, nasty fish bait and use it for, or, or whatever bait you want to, lure. You use it as your call lure. You know, guys make claims, and I'm a lure maker, and, and I want to tell you that my lures will reach out 553 miles and um, pull in 60,000 different animals. Okay, the truth of the matter is a good, a good coon or a good call lure in the right wind, if you can get 20 yards, you're doing exceptionally well. Right? And, I, and I know, I know there's a lot of guys that make a lot of, a lot of claims, and there may be some guys out there that do have those claims. But if you're going into a wooded area, okay, I'm not talking about a wide open field, I'm talking about a wooded area, and you're using a half ounce or a quarter ounce of, of a call lure, 25, 30 yards is a long, long call. And what's going to happen is that's going to drift out that 10, 15, 20 yards, okay, and it's going to be, and it's going to start to drop just like your scent would in a tree stand, okay. I'll give you an example. Um, as a deer manufacturer, deer scent manufacturer, and I make cover scents, I know that by getting 16 to 20 feet in the air, a deer hunter's scent will hit the ground approximately 30 yards out on a 5 to 10 mile an hour wind, okay. Approximate. That's not a, that's not a scientific absolute. So don't hold me to that. But approximate. All right. So your call lure, if it's a good strong call lure, at five to you know three to five feet in the air, is coming out and it's going to hit the ground probably ten yards, roughly. Quote you know whatever, hit the ground and then if you will roll. Just envision it rolling. Think of air current as water in a stream. Think of the scent, okay, as a leaf in that water. Just try to figure that. So it's coming out and it's and, and that, that scent is going to come and it's going to hit the ground and it's going to roll. It's going to move through the ground for another whatever uh, distance it's going to. And vegetation is going to have a lot to play with this. I, I, I can remember back when I started making deer scents and, and other scents, I, I got a, in touch with a bloodhound um, guy and talked about the the duff and the and the molecules and the odors and, and how but and how many days after a person or animal or whatever you know they could do it and bear dogs can do it three days after the whole thing caboodle. But what was in, intriguing was talking to him that if a guy run through a, a wide open grass field and a good good strong wind was blowing, you know, 15 mile an hour or so, that a couple hours later when that dog comes through, that nine times out of ten, that dog, you know, again, I, I got to believe he's telling me the truth. I, you know, I haven't heard anybody disagree with it yet. But instead of that dog running right on the track that the guy ran on, okay, the dog would run on the next level of vegetation. So say five feet, six feet, ten feet over to the right, the guy's running straight, and to his right, it's, he's running on the grass, but then to the right there's some bushes that stick up about six inches for a long, like well, maybe a, uh, a grass field or something. The dog would run right on the edge of that. And I started to look at my, ra my rabbit hound dogs, 
and started to notice that on dirt and stuff like that, they did exactly that. They would run over to the next, what I would call step vegetation, and the, and, the, and the hound dogs would actually run that a lot of times, not on a fresh track that the raccoons right or the you know, rabbits right in front of him. But you know, if he's running a cold track type thing, um, that was the truth. So your your call lure is going to hit the ground and it's going to go X amount of distance depending on what vegetation. So if you're in the middle of the woods, guess what's happening? That, that the, the the call lure is getting stopped pretty quick because of the trees and the air currents going around the trees and it's just getting all befuddled. I put my gland lure six inches, five inches, three inches, whatever, above the trap. Now, because what I want that current to do is as it's blowing out in the same direction, when the animal's coming in on the call lure, he's smelling it, he's coming in on his, on the cone, he now goes under... <clears throat> The drop, if you will. Everybody understand what I'm saying there? The drop. The smell now of the call lure is above him or her, but the secondary scent now, the gland lure, hits him at whatever distance that is out there. It's going to roll around the ground. He's going to follow that in just a little bit, and then hopefully he's within five or six feet of the trap to where the bait and the lure inside the trap now picks up. Now what I've actually done is intensified the curiosity and intensified the desire to check out what's going on there. Is that making sense? Yes, basically you answer. just confused them because they came in looking for one thing and now that's gone and they got something else to hit them. Right exactly. Exactly. The same thing as my cage traps. Okay, the same thing. I'm, I'm adding different odors. Uh, deer hunters. This isn't a deer hunter talk, but here it is, man. You, you, you want if I drag a scent in, and I love that dragging deer scent in, and I'll drag in TC plus, and I drag that for 200 yards or 100 yards or whatever, and I got that old buck. He's following that in. He's coming in on my flank. At the two and the ten o'clock position, I will at three to six feet. I will hang a different, a totally different deer scent, and put it on a hanger. And what I've literally seen the, 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 the deer do is they're coming in on a steady pace, nose to the ground, and as soon as that secondary odor, the hanger, hits them, the intensity so many times increases to where the deer goes from a steady walk to a trot or even a fast walk directly to the, to the hanger. Now, I'm doing the opposite with your sense as I'm telling you to do with trapping. All right. But it's the same principle. You're, you're confusing them with multiple smells. All right. Maybe not the word confusing. Maybe it's the way to use You're you're creating a excitement with multiple smells. That's why I like to use sweet baits or taste baits inside the trap. When I get into the trap, okay, he came in on a on a on a on a, on a strong fish coon lure or, or call lure, or maybe came in on a, a strong meat lure that was uh, used for call. But now he gets in there, boom! Just like the kids sending the kids into the into the room and saying, "There's roast beef, mashed potatoes, corn, carrots over here, and on this side there's cupcakes and cookies and hot chocolate and all that stuff. You can have whatever you want. Go for it, kids. Where are they going? They're going for the sweets. Okay." Now we're talking coon here. 
the coon will go for the snack. What I find, not not 100%, but what I find a lot for me, for me, is they'll go for the sweets faster in a snack scenario. Not the food scenario, but the snack scenario. Um, Guest 21 said, uh, you're making a lot of sense. I'm listening. Great information shared during this entire show. Okay, I thought he asked a question. I'm sorry about that, buddy. Um, any any questions out there, though? You know, I, I've been bouncing around. I, I I by no way, shape, or form went through my complete total advance. i got to leave that to for paying customers. But uh, <laughs> any other questions you guys want to write up? Or, Bill, can you think of something? Jeff, jump on there. I know your kids are quieted down now. They should be in bed. Jump on here. Help me out, guys. I can I can go on for another few minutes if you want me to. My, the only thing that you hit on, and I I don't, well, sometimes I do get into it. Just say, um, I like a lot of sweet stuff most of the time. Um, sometimes I will go with fish as along with my sweet stuff. Um, but you hear a lot of people saying that during the winter time, the raccoons go for meat because they need protein. I don't know that, you know, raccoons are dietitians or not. I want to eat. Um, so they say to switch to your meat, you know, your muskrat, your fish, your beaver, bobcat, whatever, you, you know, whatever you pick up on the side of the road. Um, now, you're just saying pretty much just the opposite of that with the sweet baits. So, I mean, you have... Well, just found out how old your ass was today, so you obviously got more years than me in. Um, in your experience, you see them see that, that that really doesn't matter. That they, once the coon are out to eat, they don't really care what they eat. You, 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 yes, I believe what you just said. Once, if a coon is hungry, he's going to eat whatever whatever he's going to eat. Okay, first of all, they're not starving. Um. Very few coons are starving. I don't care where you're at in a, in a country, unless they've been holed up for two months. All right, they're not starving. So the average coon that we're running across, especially in the South Jersey or the South, that the coon very seldom hole up is bad. Now, North Jersey, the coon have holed up, and the first warm spell, they'll move or what have you. But And they're going to be hungry. In that point there, no matter what you put in front of them, if they're really hungry, guess what? They're eating, okay? Um, but once they get into the being fed thing, okay, they're right back into what I am when I go out to work in the morning. Okay, I went out. I ate a a, a Wawa bagel. Hey, for, for you guys that don't know what a Wawa is, that's a that's a, a, a convenience store. <laughs> it's 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 a thing here in the Northeast or in New Jersey anyway. But you know, maybe I'll go get a a biscuit and and an egg sandwich there from Wawa. And I'm so busy during the day chasing killer squirrels that I don't get a chance to eat lunch and then I go home at 5 o'clock and, and I say to my wife, I'm hungry, I'm starving, give me something to eat. And she goes, well, I wasn't able to, you know, fix a dinner, we're going to have to go out. You know, sort of like you and Danny going to the Cat and Cats here, Bill. Yeah, and, right. <laughs> and, and you know, I say, okay. Now, I go to the diner or the restaurant or wherever we're going to go and I sit down and the waiter or the waitress comes up, whatever, server, I guess is the proper way to put it. And the first thing I don't say, I don't say to him, I'm starving, bring me whatever you have, okay? I'm still going to look 10, 15 minutes or five minutes or two minutes or whatever at the menu, all right? I'm hungry, yeah, but I'm not dying. I'm not starving. 
I'm still going to be picky on what I want to eat. The majority of our coon, especially two or three days after they get out of their hibernation, okay, or or before, especially before they go into in the, in the fall, they're going. They're they're not hungry. They're not starving. They're hungry. They're looking for that. In my opinion, and that could be wrong. Okay, in my opinion, they're looking for that. Oh, what's that? Okay, you if you if you've heard me talk, you know that I love chocolate chip cookies, especially if they're hot out of the oven. And if you, I could be filled from dinner. And what if brings out some hot chocolate chip cookies? And that smell, I've got to eat one. And if I eat one, I got to have a glass of milk. I might get sick, but I got to have one. That's the same thing I'm doing in a DP or the cage trap or whatever. I am making them say, oh, I've got to have that. All right. Now, Bill, you keep talking about your fish. But if you think about what you're talking about with your fish, you're doing exactly what I'm talking about doing. You don't just give them a piece of fish meat, right? You you, oh, you no. change. You're 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 putting other things into your stuff, okay? And I won't tell you what you know. I won't, I won't say it out loud. But you're putting other stuff in your fish bait that you're making, all right? Which turns that in from a hunk of fish to oh, that's pretty good food. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd eat it myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's what I'm saying. You know, um, dog and cat food. Nothing wrong with it, guys. If you want to use dog and cat food, uh, Sean, Sean makes uh, on on I think it's English Mountain uh, baits and lures for 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 DPs, and and hey, he's a competitor, but I but I think of him as a good friend too. So he makes a he makes a bait that a lot of guys like. Mine's better, but he a lot of guys like his bait. Okay. Um, Whatever you're using, it doesn't matter. What I'm trying, what you try to do with a bait, though, is you're trying to create the illusion of, oh, I've got to have that. All right. So um, now, with that being said, sometimes I create that illusion by throwing some bait around the trap on the outside too, just a little bit, not feeding them, just a little bit. If I'm using my my uh, banana supreme, I'll take the tip of my knife and I'll just put a pea-sized glob on a leaf here and a leaf there. Or sometimes I'll take a marshmallow or or, uh, um, or something like that that's edible, and I'll take a little bit of whatever bait I'm using down inside the trap, and I'll just put a little bit of smear on that, on that marshmallow and put it outside that trap on the ground. That's another way, just like my cage traps, another way that I can tell if something's been there to grab it. Because if I see that trap, if I see the marshmallow gone, but I don't see the marshmallow on top of the uh, the DP going. By the second day, that the, the second or third day that that marshmallow on the ground keeps getting taken, you can bet your boots I'm going to one of these these sets that I just told you about. And nine times out of ten, I'll have that son of a gun caught, and it's going to be a big old coon. All right, um, not a hundred percent. Maybe I shouldn't say nine times out of ten. Seven times out of ten, we'll we'll, we'll go that route there. All right, um, but. With the baits, whatever bait you're using, create the illusion, I really want that. Now, there are guys, and I'm, I'm sure you're listening, that fill their traps up, okay, and it's working for you. And by all means, I ain't telling you not to, and I ain't telling you it's wrong. I'm just telling you it's not the way I do it. That's all. Now, guess 21, 
wrote it on here, Glanlure applied where? Lip of DP? No. My, my, whenever I use a Glanlure with a DP trap, I'm going to go above it on something else, three, six, a few inches above it. Um, what I, one of the tricks, and I wasn't going to say it, but I will. One of the tricks I use a lot is I, I use flagging with um, my sets, whether it's a standard set or or if it's a um, advanced set. Okay, I'll use flagging. And if I'm using something absorbent, like one of the best things out there is you know the you know that glittery little ribbon that your wife buys at the Christmas store for, for Christmas decorations, all right? Unbelievable. You cut yourself a ribbon, you know, that glitters and shiny little pinky stuff like that, and you put it, you put your glandular right on that, and then you tie that to a little thin piece of uh, wire, and then, you, and then you hinge it and put another piece of wire, and you hang it so it really flips and flops in the breeze. Uh, that That is one of those exceptional uh, tricks that I've that I've learned to use with the dog proof again it's what I call fox trap and coon okay think of it this way whatever you can use a foot trap with with a little bit of brain power you can come up with a dog proof trap the same way out of sight out of mind another another reason I use a lot of these sets is not only that they're great for the spooky or smart coon, okay, but people walk right past them and never see them. Um, I've got one, i got one location, one, one, one 400-acre piece that I've put in probably three can't-see-them DP traps along roads where um, there may be people walking that I don't want them to see it. And, I, and I'll be honest, well, I've got a stinking red fox that's giving me a problem because this pad is just too big to where he can't get in there. So what the son, so what the son of a gun does is he yanks it up. He can't get the mate. He can't get the, the the bait out of the bottom of it, but he keeps pulling the stinking trap up. Um, and that that's that's starting to get annoying there. And it's a wide open uh, uh, field type scenario that that he's doing it in. I can't even hang a cable restraint because it's a a flat open field. So we're going to have to. We're probably going to have to go out with a gun and shoot that son of a gun just to get him out of my way. Um, well, I'm, 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 I'm pulling right out of steam. One more question. Won't take you sure. long. Um, you guys can go back and listen to the cage trapping podcast to get an idea about it. Set the cages, but using the dog proof with your cage mentality. Do you dump your three or four cents in the cage, or do you, like, put one a drop around the rim, like, every so far apart so that as they turn their head around looking at the lip of the dog poop, they get a different head? Well, and again, your angle of your trap is going to be very sensitive to to this, okay? But, uh, and again, we're going to go on, we're going to go back to, the average wild animal, okay, can smell up to nine different odors separately at one time and identify each one of those odors, okay? The rat definitely can can identify nine different odors in one compound. 
we know animals can do the same thing. Dogs, uh, cats, um, I've seen where my dogs, I would take dry dog food. They don't want to eat, but I take a piece of steak, stick it down in the bottom of that bowl under four inches of dog food, stick the, stick the bowl out there, and the dog is 30 feet away. And all of a sudden, within five, ten minutes, you see him raising his head, sniffing the air, and then walks over to the dog bowl and roots down in and grabs a piece of meat. I've seen it so many times. It still amazes me. I love doing it just because it's cool to watch. You ever try that trick? It's fun. It's fun. But anyway, um, if the trap is on an angle, okay, 45-degree angle or what have you, and I want three odors in that trap for the excitement end of it, one lure or odor, paste, whatever, will be on the top of that trap, right? The second odor will be just inside the lip, and I'll usually, if it's a paste, I'll just, I'll just smear it right on that little, you know what I'm talking about, the little lip there on the bottom of the trap, but on the top of the bottom trap of the hole. If it's a squeeze lure, I, I pour it right on that so it, so it runs down into the, the bottom of the trap on the angle, and then I'm going to have my third scent or paste down inside there on my on my uh, wick or my my scent holder okay if the trap is facing straight up in the air all right i'm going to put the smell down inside all right and then i'll probably you put a, another lure on the on the one side of the of the hole meaning the top of it and then again another scent on the back side of it so there's there's two distinct odors on top and then the third odor down inside. Is that, is that making sense to you, Bill? Yes. Because, um, that, well, that's what I was saying. What I'm doing is I'm running all Yanceys. So basically I have a flat surface, two and a half by six inches. So um, you can throw three or four different odors on top of that thing and, and still have segregation. Oh, yeah. I've got that. Well, I, a lot of these questions I'm asking, I already know my answer to it. And part of yours, right. I'm asking people that might not know how to grasp it. Um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm putting in like 12, 4, and uh, 7. Right. And right. Plus the marshmallow inside has the smear the base on it. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, so, yeah, but I'm just, you know, some people, unless they know or thinking they don't grasp how do you get more than one cent inside of an inch and a half round circle. Yeah, and, and and if you are trying to get a whole bunch of cents down into that, I, I, I I'm certain that it's going to mix a little bit. To where you won't get the segregation as much, but I, I like I like a lot of segregation. So I'm going to in my I'm going to do it in, according to my brain power. Um, I've said many many times that we could if if we could smell like an animal smells, we would probably go nuts within an hour. Um, they what they what they do generally uh, we wouldn't be able to even comprehend. We can't comprehend how they smell. So. But I've got to I've got to apply the bait and the lures in a in a in a manner in which I can understand it to achieve the goal that I'm looking for. And that's, that's something DP trap, cage traps, whatever. Guys, when you set a trap, there's always a strategy. Always think what is going to happen, why is it going to happen? All right, always a strategy. Never, ever set any traps without some form of strategy. Um, I call it the four W's. What, where, when, why. What is there? Not only 
raccoons. Okay, that's a simple version. Okay, what's there? Well, it's a raccoon. No, that's not the what you're looking for. You're looking for, is it a boar? Is it a sow? Is it a sow in heat? Is it a sow in the early in the season with a family unit behind her? Is it a young boar that's just splitting off on his own? Okay, he's got a little bit of testosterone, but he's not full of testosterone yet. Is that gland lure going to spook him, or is it going to, uh, you know, that type of thing? What is the, What is it? Yes, we know it's a coon, but what? Just, 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 just drop it down into even more. Break it down into what is the coon's family units. Everybody's got that. The where, okay? Not general. The where is exact, okay? Where is that coon going to put its head? Where is that coon going to put its feet? Where is that coon going to go and rub against a tree or go between two trees? Where is the, the exact X that we put on there? Not, not, not necessarily the where in the corner of the field or the where on the you know, river run where the feeder stream comes down. The exact where is one. What where? When? When is this sucker coming through? Okay. Is he on a circuit? Is he not on a circuit? Is it? Is it? Is there a den there? Is it? Is it? When? When? Where? What? You know? How? What? What's going on there? And then the most important that you can figure out. Okay. Why? Why is that animal there? If you can figure out why that coon is there, you get the world by by the you get you get the world there. Okay. Because there's always going to be a reason if you can figure the reason then you can jump ahead of him another saying i have and everybody's heard it you've probably read it on trapper man a few times a lot of people there's a very fine line between a good trapper and a real good trapper matter of fact it's very hard to distinguish just by sitting there and talking to somebody whether they're a good trapper or a real good trapper. But here's how, here's what happens. The good trapper will do what they need to do when they see they need to do it. But the real good trapper will do what they need to do before they see they need to do it. So the difference between the two is not what they're doing. It's when they're doing it. Is that making sense? I'm looking at we're going on two hours and seven minutes. I'm plumb out of words. We've lost a few people. Hopefully they had to go to bed and not because I bored them to death. Billy, I appreciate it. You make things go a lot smoother uh, with me. It, it keeps me focused and, and makes things going. So hopefully it wasn't a uh, bouncing around and, and confusing mess for everybody. But uh, we're going to shut this thing down unless there's, unless you've got one more question, Bill. No, no, no. If I ask you a question <laughs> now, I'll hit you up on your website. All right, Continue buddy. Continue this on your Redneck Pod website. All right. Well, well we're going to shut it down, and I thank everybody for listening. You know what? But more importantly, I want to thank God for allowing us to participate and to do the things out in the out in His creation, the hunting, the trapping, and the fishing. You know, and and um, thank you all for listening tonight. Uh, Rednecks Pride Outdoors, again, sponsored by Rednecks Pride Game Calls and Outdoor Sense. We'll see you in a few weeks. we got uh, Jim Comstock coming on to uh, do a bobcat cage trap talk. 
I love Jim coming on because that means I don't have to talk. He he just takes over, and all I got to do is just keep the show going. And uh, bouncing around, a lot of lot of folks, a lot of folks uh, are downloading a lot of shows. But one show that they keep downloading a lot of it was from uh, from 2014, and it was called uh, Trapping Questions. And it was an, and Billy actually it was you that 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 prompted me to do that show. And so the show, if you remember correctly, we just got on there. There was no there was no topic, there was no direction, there was no nothing other than us just sitting down and jawing mm-hmm. and about trapping. And you know what? That show is probably the most downloaded show out of all the shows we have. That is always every week downloaded, at least four or five times. Um, I'm thinking about doing another show like that. Just one of these I days. Think just, that, I it, think that what draws a lot of attention that was somebody called us idiots, and everybody. <laughs> we. It was a long show. It was it was over two hours, if I'm not mistaken. I think we had over two hours of just jawing or nothing but a lot of trapping stuff. So I think oh, I'm thinking yeah, I'm gonna put I, another one of those together. I'm gonna try to get I Bob Noonan on, and then I watch three times just so I keep a phone going. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Ron? Really, um. With the way things are going with all the newer guys I'm seeing getting in, that might not be a bad idea because now that New Jersey can use the dog proofs, I mean, there's. I talk to a lot of people that still really, I mean, think it's a matter of just like a cage. Just stick it in the ground and you'll catch something. They don't realize and, what's involved in it. And the 80% falls for that. And and, and it's and that's a good. And, and there's a lot of guys catching a lot of coon on, on the on the 80%. And, and, and I'm, a, I'm all for that. And if you're a fur trapper and you're moving fast, by all means, keep it simple, stupid. Take yourself five or six traps at each location, throw it in there, and do that. And you're going to and you're going to catch coon. But if you really want to catch the big ones, and if you really want to catch the good money makers, you've got to be able to ID the twenty percent, and then go after the twenty percent without breaking the bank or not catching. In other words, so you got to. That's that's what I mean, said. That, the thing that another part of that that you're talking about your 80%, yeah, that's great. But it seems like the 80% people are only catching 20 or 30% of them because they don't understand the change tactics to come the end of November. Well, and, you, mean, got, and, you, hit, and you hit a point there. You hit a point there. Yeah, you, you, you got, and we didn't even hit that today, tonight. We, we didn't hit fall from, fall from fall to winter. We didn't even get into that because I thought that was going to be too technical and too too boring. Um, but but we, that might be on another show. If we can get a if, I, if we can get a show going on to just general talk, no direction, just just get out there, get a good old bunch of boys, John. Um, it might be a good show. So again, I'm gonna gonna close off here. Thank you all for I'm listening. Going I'm, I'm going to bed myself. <laughs> Guys, thank you. Bye bye now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.